0: This is episode 77.
1: Smoke is incredibly complex.
0: Wildfire smoke made up of hazardous chemicals and particles.
1: We have a big toxic soup, if you want to look at it that way.
0: Dozens of major wildfires burning across California are creating that toxic soup. We're all breathing to different degrees, often for weeks on end. It begs the questions, what's in it? And how dangerous can it be?
1: Depending on the size, it can get into our bodies to different degrees.
0: In this episode of All Hazards, we sit down with two experts on the subject of wildfire smoke. Sumi Hoshiko is an environmental epidemiologist with the Center for Healthy Communities at the California Department of Public Health. She has conducted research on health effects related to climate change, including wildfires and heat waves. Just recently, her research has been cited in a New York Times online article on the California wildfires. Also with us is Dr. Janice Prudhomme. She is a public health medical officer who works in the Center for Community Health at the California Department of Public Health. Dr. Prudhomme's interest and expertise are broad-based across many occupational and environmental topics and hazards, including infectious agents, chemical exposures, and physical hazards, including heat stress and wildfire smoke exposures. They will talk about the dangers of exposure to wildfire smoke, why you should take precautions with or without underlying health issues and give you tips on how you can protect yourself, including one specific measure you should leave behind.
1: And we have to, have to, have to keep those um, safe for healthcare workers.
0: All this and more right now. Okay, welcome to another edition of All Hazards. Sean Boyd, I'm your host here today. If you've looked outside, if you live in California, almost anywhere, in California, um, you may have noticed a little bit of smoke, and depending on whether you're up north or down south and where you might be, you may have a lot of smoke, and that's what we're here to talk about today. We want to talk about wildfire smoke and really just how hazardous is it to your health, and I have two experts on that very subject with me today here at Cal OAS headquarters in Mather, California, right outside of Sacramento. So with me is Sumi Oshiko, who is an environmental epidemiologist with the California Department of Public Health, as well as Dr. Janice Prudhomme, who is also uh, with the California Department of Public Health and is a public health medical officer. Ladies, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks. We're going to educate the public today. We're going to let them know that there's nothing to be afraid of uh, when it comes to this smoke. Kind of. We're going to hedge that a little bit. Shouldn't be afraid. You should be educated, right? The reason I wanted to have you folks here is because you are experts in this field uh, in various ways. Sumi, let's talk to you first a little bit about uh, your background and your expertise. Why should folks listen to you? And I'm sure that others have, especially the New York Times uh, recently. You uh, had an article um, where you were your research has been cited. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your background uh, with regard to this topic.
2: Well, I've been doing environmental epidemiology for some years and it really started with when we uh, were thinking about climate change. And I had done a study looking at uh, mortality and excess heat from a heat wave. And then the next big area seemed like, let's look at wildfires and wildfire smoke. And that was back in 2014 before it became like uh, an everyday um, concern on, on the, the minds of the public.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. So
2: so starting, you know, starting to work on wildfire studies back then has given me a chance to think about this for some years now.
0: Dr. Prudhomme, um, tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to understand wildfire smoke maybe more than the average individual.
1: Well, I'm a trained occupational environmental medicine physician, um, having gone to UCSF as well as gotten a master's in public health um, in environmental health at UC Berkeley. I've been with the state health department um, for going on almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked with the occupational health branch as well as Cal OSHA, and I currently am working um, with Sumi in the environmental health investigations branch. Right. So I've definitely been exposed to issues um, surrounding firefighter health and protection from the worker side, as well as the interface between um, heat and um, wildfire smoke from the worker side, and um, and now we're kind of looking at all of the forces converging together, where we have potentially heat and smoke and COVID all impacting communities at the same time. So um, I feel well-versed in the overall subject matter Mm -hmm. and am in a position to help educate. And that's always a good place to be.
0: For sure. This is uh, the perfect storm of health issues, (laughs) factors. So let's talk about that a little bit. California has anywhere from 26 to 29 major wildfires burning on any given day over the last month or two insane. An insane number. Every year it seems to be unprecedented. Every year we hear that term, unprecedented. Well, up until that point, it had been. And firefighters every year are amazed at yet another unprecedented season. So with the number of fires and the intensity of the fires, the amount of fuel that is being burned and the types of fuel that are being burned, there are legitimate questions about one's health when you're living and breathing in and around the smoke. So what are the health concerns when it comes to your exposure to wildfire smoke? I would assume it comes down to what's in it. That's, that's a a major component, right? So what are the health concerns?
1: Well, let's start with that. Let's start with what's in it. Mm. Um, and uh, at the risk of losing Sumi, you and me, and all of the listeners, <laughs> we're going to start with some broad ideas and then simplify a bit. Okay. So the, the broader picture is that smoke is incredibly complex. Um, there could be a thousand chemicals, um, it, there are gases, there are particular matter, um, and some of these... Um, these components are things that are regulated by the EPA um, under our Clean Air Act as being known to be unhealthy. And so even on an ambient pollution level, um, reductions are necessary. Other ones are toxic air components or pollutants that are not well regulated um, and could have impacts that are known to the state of California, such as Prop 65, in the way of developmental or uh, reproductive or cancer concerns. There are other chemicals that could be uh, asthmogens or interact with the nervous system or the endocrine system or the liver um, or the blood. So we have a big toxic soup if you want to look at it that way. Um, And yet, at the end of the day, public health officials, and this is where we bring it down to a more simplified um, form, are mostly concerned about what we call the particulates. Um, Particulate matter, PM for short, is regulated um, by the EPA as well um, as one of the uh, clean air pollutants. um, And turns out to be very closely aligned with the health effects. So if we just focus on particulate matter, and even within the broad range, because particulate matter could also be um, broad, um, we end up honing in on one that is called PM 2.5, so 2.5 microgram size. When we're looking at particulate matter, there really Size does matter. So we have PM10, which is also regulated, PM2.5, and then we have ultrafine particles that are down in the level of 0.1 micrometers. Um, so 10, 2.5, and ultrafine, coarse, fine, ultrafine. Um, that's how we end up looking at the health effects, and that this goes for ambient pollution as well as wildfire. Smoke.
0: So, so what is the problem with PM?
1: Well, the problem with PM is that... the, the point I wanna make sure that we, do, we understand is like once we start talking about PM, you feel like we're talking about a thing. We're not, we're talking about particles that are of that size. So the problem with PM is that depending on the size, it can get into our bodies to different degrees. So the other thing about PM is that it's charged molecules. So these are molecules, all of these different chemicals coming together. Some of the chemicals are highly reactive. They're charged. They want to interact with human tissue. So the problem is that we have these different charged particles that are all around us. And the Cal EPA does a really good job for us because they simplify it even more by giving us a, a clean chart to look at that tells us, If the particular matter is this level, the air is considered relatively clean. And if it's this level, it's moderate. And if it's this level, if you're a sensitive individual, which we'll go more into what that means, it's unhealthy for you and and so on. So then unhealthy, very unhealthy, and hazardous is the end range of what EPA does for us. So with these charged particles that are floating all around us, we have the coarse ones, the PM10s. Those tend to more hit the upper airways. So we we all, whether we're healthy, unhealthy, we'll all probably experience some symptoms related to these smoking conditions. It could be burning, itchy eyes. It could be um, congested nose, runny nose. It could be uh, sore throat, dry dry throat. Those are more the bigger PMs hitting our respiratory tract.
0: And it's your body fighting that stuff off. That's the reaction, <clears throat> right?
1: Your body is... Your body is trying to fight things off. I mean, that's what our body does. And that's why ultimately healthy people don't end up having long-term health effects from the toxins that surround us all the time, including wildfire smoke, is that we have mechanisms to say, "Okay, you know, I took notice of you, but now I'm going to I'm going to fight back and you're going to not you know, not derail me." Um, The problem is with those smaller particles. So the PM2.5 and the ultrafine particles can really drop down lower. They can drop down into the lower airways and wreak havoc there. So they can cause um, immune reactions Mu- mucus production, closing off of airways. So if you are prone to asthma, um, if you are prone to COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is the form of emphysema or chronic bronchitis, um, that impacts your the architecture of your lung or how much mucus is in your lung tissue, you are not gonna have the same defenses as a healthy person and you're going to be more impacted. So when it drops down to that lower area is when you start seeing exacerbations um, for, and, and anyone could have some like tightness maybe on some days or feel a little bit constricted, but the people that we worry about most are people that already have some underlying condition. Then we get into those ultra fine guys who are really, um, tough little things, because they can not only get down to the alveolar level, which is where our oxygen exchange happens, they can go pass that into our bloodstream. Oh, wow. So they can go into the bloodstream, cause inflammatory um, and oxidative stress throughout the body, um, the lining of the blood vessels, they can cause um, coagulation, so clotting, um, and And that inflammation, oxidative stress, clotting is what can lead to things like a a predisposition to a heart attack Mm -hmm. or to a stroke or to something in someone who, again, more likely has the underlying architecture that is going to um, not respond well to that attack. Those are the people that we worry about.
0: So when you have these people who are frightened or very, you know, very concerned about the health effects there is a legitimate concern there
1: absolutely there right. is a legitimate concern and i i go with what you know you said earlier knowledge is is what we want we want people to be educated we want people to not be frightened unduly but to take whatever steps they can take knowing that there there can be serious consequences from in, inhaling too much you know too much smoke if, if you're someone who's susceptible. And that's where the studies have identified these high-risk groups that, that Sumi knows so much about.
0: And I was just about to ask Sumi about these health effects. You've conducted research on uh, the health effects related to climate change and um, some other things, but also wildfires and heat waves, both of which we were experiencing <laughs> were and are experiencing. What have you um, taken notice of lately or what has sort of come across your radar lately with regard to what you know about wildfire smoke and heat?
2: Well, I think, um, I mean, our research and other research also shows you know, the vulnerable populations, the, the very young, you know, children are, um, their um, lungs are still developing, their immune systems are developing, they, um, they spend more time outside. So they're they're definitely an at-risk group and older individuals, um, not just because they're more likely to have some of these chronic pre-existing conditions, heart conditions, lung conditions, but um the physiological processes you know aren't as aren't as robust as um in younger persons. So a lot of the studies show more effects in older individuals and, and very young children. And and one of our studies It wasn't just young children, but the very young. Children under four years of age were the ones with the the highest emergency department visits for asthma.
0: A lot of parents say, oh, well, I just, I keep inhalers with us. And you know, if she starts to cough, we give her the inhaler. Seems to me like that's not just the only answer. There should be other things to consider.
2: Well, we we definitely would recommend that anyone who knows they have a condition like asthma be prepared with medications. Everyone should be prepared with their medications. Um, and you know, just stepping back from this, you know, like like we've been saying, preparation, be informed, um, take steps to you know create a clean room in your house if you can, uh, if you know that you may be at risk. If you don't have like a good air conditioning system, there are you know reasonable. Um, portable room-sized air filters. You can you can set that up in one room, and create clean air there. It could be a, one of the rooms where you spend the most time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might want to transfer that to the bedroom during during the nighttime. Right. So t- taking taking common sense steps to do what you can to reduce your exposure. You know would be the sensible way to go about this.
0: Right. So here in this room we have a very nice and uh, fairly expensive HEPA filter fan that's going right now. You might be able to hear it. No, oh, Maybe not, which is why we like it. <laughs> but in addition to that, if you don't have the means to purchase something that's very expensive, there are less expensive options that you can do. I've heard, and this is just something that um, <laughs> just showed up on social media, where you can take a box fan and take a a filter that you would put in your AC, your HVAC, tape it onto the the front of that thing, and use that and get it going in your room, and that supposedly uh, does a fairly decent job of capturing some of the particulates in your room. What do you have? You seen this on on social media, or have you heard of it? Oh, absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a re- It's a less expensive option, yeah. certainly. Um, I've even seen a video where you do a double filter. You put a triangle in the top. Mm. Um, you need to make sure you're using a very you know a, a good quality filter. And make sure that the seal is good. So otherwise air could be going in on this, you know, on the edges, yeah, obviously. Escaping. And yeah. and you need um a fan that's gonna be good enough that's gonna move the air well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very reasonable option. Hmm. Um, if you don't have other um, Yeah, yeah. The other per- the was- other precaution with that though is that you have
1: to make sure that the motor on the fan you're like don't leave it unattended. Oh right. Um because it can end up um um, too much overheating something. and then you're starting a fire yeah. and you're, you're causing problems that you don't want to cause. <laughs> definitely so don't so that cause. is definitely a caveat with using yeah. the, the DYIs.
0: I, I couldn't believe it. I saw, I, I mean, it logically, it makes sense. I just didn't know how effective it was, but I guess, you know, you spend $15 on a box fan and you spend another $6 on a filter or whatever they cost. It's not a bad option if that's all you can afford. Hey, whatever you can come up with, it's ingenuity.
2: Right. Re- regarding the, the room air filters, mm. the um, California Air Resources Board has a page um, because you should be care- You should be um, mindful in picking your you know the what what machine you use because some of them um, emit ozone, which is uh, a pollutant in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, California requires the um, the certified um, machines.
0: Okay. All right. So uh, it would say right on the box or the device itself.
2: I'm not sure, but but there's a list on the, okay. the Carb website. Good, yeah. So we'll send people it.
0: there. Okay. Go to Carb. So some of the symptoms then that you had mentioned a, a couple already: stinging eyes, some trouble breathing normally, coughing, scratchy throat, runny nose, weezing, wheezing, wheezing,
1: wheezing, chest pain, chest tightness, heavy pressure, right, really headaches. difficulty taking deep breaths, headaches for sure, more from the volatile organic compounds that also go along with the composition of smoke. Mm. So um, headaches can definitely part of it. If, if you're having headaches as well as some other neurologic things, then you have to start thinking, is this someone who's having, you know, a more serious um, cerebrovascular accident, a stroke? Yeah. So, um, so absolutely. Okay. Sumi, as
0: someone who has studied the effects of prescribed burns and the use of those prescribed burns, uh, as part of your research, did you look into the types of materials, the fuels that are through, run throughout California, and much of which is burning now?
2: You know, we we are just on the the um, initial stages of our of a oh. large research study to look at the health impacts of um, prescribed fires in in relation to what would happen with um, wildfire smoke. Mm. So there has not been very much research on prescribed fire at this point, okay. but that's definitely an area that now we're embarking on more prescribed fire that will be very important. Right. Um, you, you're probably aware that, that California and, and uh, federal agencies just agreed to um, dramatically increase the, the, the acreage for forest lands that will be treated, which will be important for maintaining and, and improving forest health as well as, you know, reducing the risk of the large mega wildfires.
0: The fuels play an important role in the types of particulates that are in the smoke.
1: You're absolutely right about, you know, e- either, even though neither one of us are really experts on in the fuel side, um, and there certainly are many in the state, um, that does matter. So when you start talking about what the components are of smoke, whether it's just vegetative biomass, the, the wildland portion, versus once it butts up against the urban and we get that wildland urban interface, and then you start consuming man-made products. You know, you have the cars, you have the homes and the structures and the furnishings and all of that. That's a whole different set of pollutants. And I, you know, I think there's always going to be kind of a, a mix of opinions uh, about prescribed fires, but one of the benefits is that you can control it. You can actually, because not only does it matter what's burning, but it's all of the other conditions, you know, how the wind is blowing, how humid it is, all of that is gonna matter as to what's generated Um, and being able to reduce the fuel and control the exposure is the positive side of prescribed burns.
0: We'll continue with our conversation with Dr. Janice Prudhomme and Sumi Hoshiko in just a moment. On the way.
2: Fire is, you know, it's, it's a natural part of the landscape. It's important for forest health. Indigenous people have been using fire in beneficial ways for, for centuries.
0: Prescribed fire or controlled burns are an important part of forest management. But are they a consideration when it comes to air quality and your health? Also, the most obvious measures you can take against smoke is wearing a mask. But what should you know about that mask you may have on right now and others like an N95?
1: It's effective against transmission of COVID. It's effective against smoke. Unfortunately, it is very limited in its supply. And we have to, have to, have to keep those um, safe for healthcare workers.
0: And did you know that smoke can trigger a heart attack? Often those who weren't aware they had an underlying problem learn this the hard way.
2: And this becomes the sentinel event that alerts them to it.
0: All that is on the way, so let's get back to our conversation with Sumi Hoshiko and Dr. Janice Prudhomme I think one of the questions that folks would have after talking about the symptoms, can you recover?
1: For, for healthy people going into that exposure, um, that's, a, that's a long-term exposure. So usually when we're even talking about the the PM 2.5, we're talking about hours to weeks. So yes, we could say a month. Um, we're hoping people aren't out in that 24 seven breathing it. Um, you know, that that's the number one mm-hmm. lesson here is that on the days when it's unhealthy for sensitive populations or even beyond that, just the general public, is that you avoid exposure as much as you possibly yeah. can. If you do have exposure though, Yes, I would say most people can can heal. Um, what you don't want to do though is be in one of those groups that Sumi and others have studied that show you are at heightened risk if you're a young child, if you're pregnant, if you're old, if you have underlying heart and, and lung disease, and you start having some symptoms. So the and this was mentioned earlier you know, going to the doctor early if you know that you're in one of these high-risk groups, having an asthma plan, having your medications, having your COPD plan, having your heart, um, your heart care plan. If you're someone who needs supplemental oxygen, having that at home available so when the time comes that would be available for you. Then um, if you're super high risk, you may consider leaving early if you're if you're in a place that's super prone to fires um, and trying to find clean air from the get-go because that's going to be your best chance of of having a good recovery. But aside from that, those people need to be thinking um, not just that, you know, I'm I'm using my inhaler like twenty times a day. This is not normal for me. And I'm still tight in the chest. Quick you know, quick check with the doctor. Yeah. You know that's when you want people to err on the side of of seeking medical care early so that they don't end up. you know, and another one of st- of Sumi's study that she hasn't really talked about is out of hospital cardiac arrest. So one of her more recent studies showed a seventy percent increase in out of hospital cardiac arrests, um which haven't really been captured well in other studies because, um, usually what's looked at is hospital and you know emergency room, hospital admissions, that kind of thing. but out of hospital cardiac arrest means the, the EMT went to the site and the person you know didn't make it or, or whatever. Um, so that's you don't want to be that person. you know you want to be the person that gets the care and survives.
0: For sure. So this is a uh, sort of eye-opening for me. Was there anything in your research that, was eye-opening for you. Anything that surprised you? Because I think if it surprised you, it may surprise our listeners in terms of some of the results of your research.
2: Well, we were interest, I was interested in um, looking at the cardiovascular outcomes because a lot of there had been a, a fair number of studies um, looking at respiratory outcomes, and that's and we consistently were, saw more asthma um, types of visits. But the 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 data on cardiovascular, uh, you know, and heart issues was not as clear. And, and it seemed, it was it was a little confusing because we know from decades of research on air pollution that heart conditions are affected by bad air. So I wanted to look at that more closely and I thought, well, maybe it's because we're not looking at it in the right way um, or we're not looking at ex- the right outcomes or we're not looking at it closely. So well, that's what led to a couple of the studies um, that, that I've worked on. And you know, the out of hospital cardiac arrest findings that yes, those were increased is consistent with other studies that look at mortality because probably a lot of those people, um, you know, it's an often fatal um, condition. Hmm. And so they maybe didn't end up in the hospital or emergency department um, data sets. So that's that's what I'm thinking could have been uh, some of the explanation there. And I, I do want to point out that, you know, often people with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest were unaware that they had a, a heart condition, and this becomes the sentinel event that alerts them to it. So, yeah. um, wow. we need, and, it, and it's not only people who are over 65, where we saw some increases.
0: When we're talking about some of this research and what the findings show, you're not necessarily going to know whether or not you have an underlying condition. So it seems to me one would reason that it's a good idea to get regular checkups.
2: I suspect that you know, there have been enough messages that, that people who do have underlying conditions and who are older are aware of that and are probably during, you know, during smoky times, hopefully taking it easy mm-hmm. and not doing you know, um, activities that involve a lot of exertion outside. And that's probably preventing some conditions that might've happened otherwise. On the other hand, the you know, people who are a little bit younger than that and might still be at risk, maybe carrying on and still engaging in, um, you know, vigorous activity. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm just- Because
0: they're invincible.
2: Right. Because right? some of us are invincible. <laughs>
0: at least they think so.
1: Right. I don't know. It's been young... pretty, it's been pretty darn smoky out there. It has <laughs> been. But
0: you know, young kids, I mean, you, you see it on the news. They they think they're immune to COVID. They throw the big parties, the big keggers over there at the, the frat house and all these other things. And you just look at them going, God, They think they're invincible.
1: Absolutely.
0: COVID has just made everything so much more difficult, but we're also talking about the ability for people to go to the doctor, get the checkups. If they suspect something, I would be pushy. If it was me and I suspected that I was having an episode or something that wasn't normal, or if it was something that I had experienced before, I'm going to push my doctor to say, listen, this is real. I need to get in. I need someone to check me out. Right. I mean, that's and that's what I would do.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, telemedicine has become very big with COVID. So, no, you can't necessarily have personal access to your doctor, but you can have visual access. Um, And a doctor can tell a lot by by looking at how someone's breathing, how someone's moving, how they're describing what's going on for them. Hearing
0: how they talk. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, and if there is a concern, COVID or no COVID, they're going to say, go to the emergency room Mm. if that's what the right plan is. Right,
0: right. Stressful. It's stressful just talking about it, thinking about it. We've got a little bit clear, uh, some clear skies today, but who knows how long that's going to last. Uh, some nice sun shining through the window right now. So I think ultimately when it comes down to this, people are going to want to know what can they do. So some tips. We've talked a little bit about it already. Stay inside. Make sure that you've got whatever air is inside your house. Clean it as best you can using filtration. What? Keep the windows closed?
1: Absolutely. People don't recognize that Frying, vacuuming, if you don't have a good vacuum that is, uh, has a HEPA in the vacuum, that that also gener- generates oh, a bunch okay. of particles. Um, so don't add pollution to your internal environment. What about the N95 masks? Oh, we didn't talk about yeah. masks.
0: Well, let's talk about masks.
1: <laughs> All things masks. All
0: things masks. <laughs> okay, so I've got this little thing right here that I wear. We're, by the way, for those people who are wondering, no. We're not wearing masks during this podcast, but we're also at least six feet away, okay? We wore masks when we came into the room. Uh, you two are seven feet apart, easily. I'm at least 10 feet from, Sumi. me, I'm six feet from you, so we're well distanced. But this little mask here, is that going to help with smoke?
1: I'm sorry to say that it will not.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it's not an N95. It's not
1: an N95. So... Masks, people know a lot more about masks now because of COVID, um, but there have been a lot of confusing messages about masks with COVID. And now we have the the next um, threat, which is smoke. Um, So the cloth mask with COVID is to um, to protect others from you. So we are putting those on us as we are the ill person and we don't want other people to get our illness. When it comes to protection against um, smoke, we're trying to protect ourselves from the smoke and the cloth mask just doesn't do it. The particles can get around those masks, which is why there is such a strong recommendation for being indoors. Um, The N95 mask is effective. It's effective against transmission of COVID. It's effective against smoke. Unfortunately, it is very limited in its supply. Mm -hmm. And we have to, have to, have to keep those um, safe for healthcare workers, for other essential workers that have to be out in public um, and not make strong recommendations for the general public. Um, Case by case basis, there probably um, are certain people that that should of the general public. But generally, the recommendation is to stay inside. Stay inside. And and not, you know, just not expose yourself to that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are also some um, N95s that have exhalation valves on them, which a lot of people have seen, and there are like signs in front of stores that say you can't come in with that. The reason for that is that, and they would do a good job of, preventing the inhalation of the smoke they are more for that for like workers that have dusty jobs and have smoky jobs and that kind of thing that's what those are for so they could be used for smoke but then they can't be used for covid um, if they have the exhalation valve that can allow your germs to get out um, there is a, a Kalosha regulation that is a, a temporary regulation that's that's supposed to expire but they hope that it will become permanent by next year. Um, That does require that employers do offer certain protections for workers that are outdoors in smoky environments. And that valved N95 might be a place where that could have a good use because healthcare workers cannot use those. Right. Um, oh, so sense. there is a place for it. One other thing I would say that we we do strongly recommend um, is that everyone, and this would be whether it's fire season or not, but all the more reason that it is, is to get vaccinated against the flu. So influenza vaccination is very important for COVID, for for smoke, there have been studies that have looked at uh, bad uh, smoke exposure and subsequent higher risk for contracting the flu. Mm. So even like month after the exposure, so you know there there is an impact on the lungs from from smoke that can break down your resistance to infection for a period of time. And we're not gonna define that because it probably does vary person to person. So you want to protect yourself against things that you can protect yourself against. So strong, strong recommendation for flu vaccine.
2: You know, along the lines of um, our recommendation to to be prepared and stay informed. um, You know, people probably know about airnow.gov. But you can easily find your air quality there, and they now have a, a page, a fire and smoke page, which shows all the um, the air monitors and their readings, not just the the big um, US EPA permanent stationary ones that have all the you know quality control, but temporary monitors that are set up in different places depending on um, fires and, and need, and even the low cost sensor. There's a lot of data there. Um, they they don't take um, responsibility for the the accuracy of the, the low-cost sensors, but it's a lot of information. If you, if you click on any of those monitors, it'll, it'll pop up a very cool graph that shows the hourly um, concentrations.
0: Before we wrap this up, uh, Sumi, I wanted to find out if there's anything that you wanted to, to end with, if there's a message or if there is something that you wanted to get across that you haven't had a chance to yet.
2: Um, no, I wanted to just mention a couple other um, resources. Okay. Um, yeah. The US EPA's SmokeSense mobile app, you know, it's a citizen science kind of project. You can download the app. Uh, it's a quick way to get your um, air quality information, but it's also interactive. and You um, you know, people are reporting in their symptoms and whether they're experiencing smoke, and that data is, you know, we can use to, to actually get some information from the public on, on what they're experiencing, aside from... Datasets like emergency department visits, right. because there's a lot of other things, and you know just to, to be aware, and you know you can sign up for a Nixle. Text your zip code to to 777 to opt in, and you'll get um, announcements not just related to wildfires, but other kinds of natural disasters, um, crime. Um, you know it's it's good to be informed, and um, you know resources like that will be really helpful. Counties often have notification systems also.
0: All right, Dr. Burdum, is there anything you wanted to add?
2: Yeah, just along those same lines. Um
1: we're here to educate and and education goes a long way. Um one of the other populations that, you know, Sumi didn't spend a lot of time talking about but is also identified are are people that are living in poverty, are people that are already um having a tough time at baseline with exposures to pollution with the the higher risk to COVID um, and to other um, conditions, asthma. Um, So there are are people out there that are really in need, and knowledge alone doesn't really do it. Um, And there are lots of efforts within the state to try to better address health concerns in populations that are at higher risk for multiple determinants of health. Um, And it's important for those communities to to reach out to their local health departments and to other community resources um, to try to help find out what's available as more more, um, assistance um, becomes available. Um, Because it's, it's not always that you can have a have a clean home. It's not always that you can be in a safe situation. So there are times where, and COVID makes it more complicated again, where can you go if you don't have a clean environment? Where are these shelters for people? Um, the the local health departments and, and resources should be a guide to some of those services. And the other thing I just really want to say is I'm. I've just been um, so impressed by the concerted effort that goes on across the whole spectrum of smoke. You know, from from the fire people, from from Cal Fire and all the other firefighting associations, from the health department side, um, from the local health um, side, from volunteers. From there's a lot of effort um, at trying to improve health conditions for Californians um, related to smoke and it it warms my heart and it makes me feel optimistic that um, with this ongoing effort that we'll get to a better place and we'll, we'll see ourselves through this trauma.
2: Yeah. I just wanted to, you know, step back and and remind us ourselves that, that fire is, you know, it's, it's a natural part of the landscape. It's, it's been here. um, It's important for forest health. Uh, Indigenous people have been using fire, in beneficial ways for for centuries you know our our task now is to recreate that in in safe sensible beneficial ways that that we can you know mitigate future wildfires and um you know improve forest health now
0: if either one of you had a final parting suggestion or recommendation what would that be Sumi, we'll start with you. Is there something that uh, stands out in your mind with regard to the way the air is now compared to historical past?
2: Well, we've all experientially felt this to be a different um, season than Uh, in the past, but um, certainly, you know, all the experts are saying that the the scale and magnitude of these fires are different, you know, both in terms of like the the size of the fires and the emissions. Um, The California Air Resources Board um, said that as of as of this past Monday, three of the 20 highest uh, PM 2.5 concentrations um, were seen, and this is since they started taking um, measurements in the 1990s are um, higher. And in the past, uh, you'd get smoke from fires locally or maybe regionally, and even in 20, 2018, when there were some very large fires, you know, the the Paradise Campfire. Um, those, the smoke from those fires affected mainly nor, northern California or the Central Valley. Now we're experiencing smoke from, you know, throughout California, also from fires in Washington and Oregon. It's much more widespread. Smoke from these fires are, you know, as you mentioned, they're, they're reaching um, the East Coast cities and, and degrading air quality there and traveling as far as, as Europe, northern Europe at this point.
0: That is crazy to think about
2: so I, I
1: think a parting, a parting thought is, you know take all the information you've learned, um, use it to the advantage of keeping yourself, your community, your loved ones safe. Um, be very mindful of any behaviors that could be risky in starting fires, um, because, as we know, um, we had lightning that was, again, unprecedented, mm-hmm. historic. Um, that started some of these big complex fires, but we've also had um, human error um, judgment type fires too. And you know we need we need to protect our firefighters, quite frankly we need we need them to not have to be putting in the number of hours um, and putting their own health um, at risk to and they, they continue to do it um, to serve us um, and to keep us all healthy and safe. We really need um, for everyone to do their share in, in protecting the health of communities when it's within our control.
2: Absolutely. Yes, like I understand like 95% of fires are started by humans, whether, not intentionally, you know, but all kinds of accidents. Um, can start
0: these. Well, ladies, thank you so much. I appreciate the information. Keep up the good work. Thank you
1: thanks so, so nice much. Yes. You it's really been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank we you. so appreciate this opportunity.
0: My thanks again to Dr. Janice Perdome and Sumi Hoshiko, both with the California Department of Public Health. I will have a lot of great resources and links on wildfire smoke with this post. You'll also find a helpful graphic put together by our artist adria wells that shows how you can make your own indoor air filter on the cheap you can find it all at oesnews.com then click on podcast and look for this episode if you enjoy this podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues if you have already subscribed thank you for questions comments and suggestions email me at media at caloes.ca.gov. That's media at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe.
1: You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout-out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.